Welcome, my friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. Bill Jack from Worldview Academy with me on this edition. And today we're going to take a look at what's going on with American children. Uh, wow. Parents are concerned. Their children are mentally unstable. And certainly that's a problem with the nation itself. But uh, first, uh, it seems to me, Bill, that your average evangelical church still sends their kids off to the public schools. Some Christian schools, a few Christian schools, a few will homeschool, but the vast majority are still in public schools. A 2019 survey found that evangelical parents are no more frustrated with the public schools than their non-evangelical counterparts. Frustration over having to conform to the secularism of public schools, not statistically different for white evangelical Christians as opposed to others. Uh, Race, however, did have a pretty significant uh, issue. So, Folks are more concerned about the wokeism and the racism than they are about the faith, the worldview issues. They're not looking down into the foundations of what being, what's being taught in the science and the history classes. They're more concerned with the racism that goes on in the public schools. Now, that's an issue. We, we believe that's an issue. But more fundamentally, there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the issue. And the reason for woke, wokeism and racism and everything else, the reason for the violation of every commandment, a reason for the bad view concerning evolution and the uh, nature of man and the existence of God and all the rest. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the issue. But evangelical parents appear to be blind to this. Yeah. The issues that they raise are the the rotten fruit on the tree. So they're, they're fruit whapping mm-hmm. rather than going for the root of the problem, which is the worldview that nourishes the tree that produces the fruit. So instead of going and digging up the roots, they simply address the fruit that is hanging on the branches of the tree. Biggest concern for U.S. parents, though, according to this Pew Research that just came out, uh, wow, uh, it's the mental stability of American children. U.S. parents big time concerned about their children, extremely very worried. Their children might struggle with anxiety, depression. Mental health concerns top the list of parental worries, followed by 35% who are similarly concerned about their children being bullied. But uh, head and shoulders above the other issues that parents have right now is 76% of parents are concerned about mental illness with their children, and uh, some 40% concerned, uh, extremely concerned about it. Uh, drug problems, 56%, getting pregnant out of wedlock, 40%. But wow, head and shoulders above these things, 76% of parents are concerned about mental illness with their children. That's almost 80%. Concerned about mental illness with their children. Just let that sink in for just a moment. Almanza Wilder's father and mother weren't as concerned about this. You remember Farmer Boy, don't you? Yeah. The man who married Lloyd Ingalls Wilder, right? Almanza Wilder, remember him? Back in 1890, I mean, he was... In your school. Yeah, he was. He, he, he was, was one of your buddies. Actually, he was a few grades ahead of Oh, me. he was a few grades yeah. ahead of you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bill, <laughs> I don't think Elmanza Wilder's parents were all that concerned about the children's mental illness. Now, certainly not 80%. I'm guessing it you know, might have been 0.04%, but not 80%. Mental illness is imposed upon us by the crazy zeitgeist. I mean, you need to understand that our nation is insane. The nation itself is clinically insane. Transgenderism, of course is insanity. If you're in a mental institute and there there's some guy who wants to pretend that he is Marilyn Monroe, 
you would probably say that you're pr- you're in a mental institute at this point in time, right? You would right. say this is a mental institute. But now the the inmates are running the institution. Well, that's true too. As, as an right. example of that, here in Colorado in Jefferson County, the Jefferson County Teachers Association to raise funds for a scholarship so that graduating seniors can pursue an an, an education in majoring in education. That's that's the purpose of the scholarship. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. These are people who want to be teachers, right? So to, to, so to, they're they're raising to, funds to, to, to recycle right. the whole system and keep it going in the next generation. Right. So the generational vision of the public schools is happening. Yeah. So they're going to have a, a bingo night. Uh huh. Well, that's not unusual, right? Sure. Uh-huh. I mean that happens, but this is a this is a drag queen bingo night. All right. We don't want to ask what happens. In no, an event like that, but no. but the bottom line is these teachers, the teachers these teachers are doing everything they can to oppose sanity and the things that would yes. really would contribute to the uh, the sanity of the students, and that's not happening anymore. The death of the West was realized most noticeably in the increase in despair deaths. Now, this is a portion from Epoch: The Rise and Fall of the West. I'm just going to leave you with this before we take the break. The rate of drug overdose deaths increased by 400 percent between 2000 and 2020. The suicide rate increased 38% over the same period. Between 1965 and 2018, drug overdose deaths increased 20-fold. So that's between, you know, the 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 point at which the drug uh, wave spread across America in the crazy 1960s to today, still a 20-fold increase. So we're way beyond where the crazy 60s were, 20-fold increase since then. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. That's Romans one twenty-eight. Insanity turned into the mainstream phenomenon in the 2010s. Between 1991 and 2017, the medical administration opioids increased from 76 million to 260 million legal prescriptions per year, mounting almost two prescriptions for every adult in America in any given year. Uh, as America went insane, per capita use of legally dispensed drugs increased 50-fold, Between 1980 and 2020, neither were children exempted from the sad demise of American psyche, with psychotropic drug prescriptions for children increasing 60-fold between the 1980 and 2020. Uh, So, Bill, what we're looking at is a 60-fold increase, not 60%. uh, We're looking at a 60-fold increase. So if it was, you know, one child in 100 in 1990 uh, taking up these psychotropic drugs, uh, that would be now 60 children in 100. So that's a huge increase in rate just since uh, the 1980s. Whether the society would opt towards slow individual suicide or mass institutional suicide, it was all the consequence of postmodern thinking. Man was ever more self-consistent with nihilism, the worldview of meaninglessness. And so that's the way I end that section on the death of the West, and that's happened in just the last 30 years. Yes, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at an article out of The Federalist that deals with the solution for this, this this solution. And another way of saying it is that these are people who are nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And, and they say, you know, we, we really don't need education. They'll tell you, uh, you know, we, we don't need that, or religion rather. We don't need religion because we're fine without it. We can work ourselves out. We're, we're, we're fine without worship, without church, without religious instruction, without institutions of religion. Thank you very much. And the end result, of course, is, is, is obvious. Yeah, yeah, nihilism. 
That's a worldview issue, and the end result, 80% of Americans insane, or at least concerned they're going insane. Be back with more in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on the Generations radio broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you. And 80% of American parents concerned that the children are mentally unstable or at risk for mental instability or mental illness. Now, mental illness comes from what? I've just completed a book called Worldview. What we believe, what they believe, and why they are wrong. And I contrast the Christian worldview to other worldviews on every aspect. Anthropology, psychology, etc., Mental illness comes from a few things. One is demon possession, which is very common today. Also, secondly, something we just mentioned, wrong thinking about everything. You're you're mentally unstable when you are viewing reality through the wrong eyeglasses. You're looking at everything in the wrong way to the point that God gives them up to a corrupted mind. And then thirdly, the third thing that makes people go insane is, you know, you have guys who are isolating themselves. They go into basements or they wind up on an island with a soccer ball, you know, and they develop a relationship with a soccer ball. You know what I'm talking about. We, yeah. We've referred to this before. Or is it, was it a volleyball? It might've been a volleyball. Yeah, it was Can't a volleyball. Yeah. It was Wilson. His name yeah, was Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Right. Uh, so intense isolation of modern media, social circumstance, et cetera, produces craziness. And, and that's where we are. There's only, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But people don't like, go up into the top of a mountain, kind of live as a hermit for 27 years. No, they plug in their earphones, their earbuds, and they, they, they plug into the, the large social media system, the entire electronic medium. And it turns out that the message is the medium. Now, when I say that, what do I mean? The message is the medium. That is, once you tie yourself into the medium itself, and you abandon human relationship, the the medium itself is communicating a message to you. And that is effectively what John Paul Sartre came up with, and that was hell is other people. That's his worldview that has been mainstreamed everywhere through media and social media, certainly. Hell is other people, that sort of existentialistic worldview in which you define yourself by your own self-centeredness is uh, perhaps one of the most damaging doctrines that has been posed on humankind since the worldwide flood or since the fall of man in the garden. So this isolation is a very, very bad thing. Mental illness is part and parcel 
of the media generation. That's just what it does. So as you send your kids into the media vortex at, what, eight years of age? Or was it seven years of age? Now it's five. Oh, it's five years of age. You send them into the media vortex, say bye-bye, and expect them to be mentally unstable for the rest of their lives. Bottom line is media does nutty things to you. And I don't think people understand that, Bill. That's why Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. The medium is the message. It's it's what you immerse yourself in. And and again, the nuns in their parenting style say we don't need religious instruction. We don't need worship. We're just fine, thank you very much. But they're not fine. Their children aren't coping. They're manage they're not managing day to day stresses and inconveniences. In fact, they're very fragile. We use the term what? Snowflakes. Snowflakes. Okay, they're very fragile. And as you've pointed out, increasingly so. According to this article in the Federalist Papers, quote, the nuns will tell you it is because we need to better embrace children's differences and preferences, like their pronouns, while empowering them with positive affirmations and encouraging personal acceptance through self-esteem workshops. We clutter their calendars with sports, theater, STEM clubs, and dance classes. If none of that pans out, we allow our kids to self-medicate with hours spent on social media. Mm-hmm. Parents will do all of this, it goes on to say, but won't take their families to church. Yep. Yet research shows that children who attend weekly worship services have higher GPAs, score higher on standardized tests, and are less likely to be held back a grade. They are also more likely to achieve a bachelor's degree in college. So here's the question, right? Why aren't parents taking their kids to church? Yeah. Why? Because it's so busy doing everything else. Because they often respond that their children and teens don't want to attend worship. You know what? My kids didn't want to brush their teeth either. Uh-huh. My kids didn't want to they eat their veggies. They didn't want to do a lot of things, yeah. So My you kids do? didn't want to pick up their Let room. me guess, you did it anyway. Yeah. yeah, but we didn't make them go to church, you know, mm-hmm. no, because that, that might hurt their self-esteem, mm-hmm. right? Their little, their little go to self-centeredness. Church. Go to church, go to church, yeah, and yeah, amen. Let's, let's take the children to church, and then that means that we're plugging them in with, what, the body of Christ, the visible body of Christ, and they're belonging. They belong. They, they're hearing the Word of God. They're, they're getting the right worldview, in the, well, ideally. Ideally, hopefully you've got the right church. Uh, Here's one more thing. Do family worship every day. Disciple in the word of God. Make sure that one major input in your life is the word of God and nothing else. Now, let me ask you this, Bill. I was just thinking about this. What if you did live in a mental institute? I mean, you, that was, that was you. And it turned out. I did for 10 years. I taught public high school. Okay. Well, then you know (laughs) what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the staff as well as the inmates. They're Uh all mentally unstable you know, there's something wrong with everybody you living you wake up okay maybe this is something of a sci-fi movie maybe this is where we live today okay <laughs> but let's say you wake up in a mental institute okay the staff are insane the the inmates insane obviously what would you do to keep your head like you're the only guy what would you do to keep your head the only thing i can think of is full-time meditation on the word of god in other words, you've yeah. got to have a constant input of solid truth, God's truth. Now, some people say, it's kind of extreme. You know, you're, you're saying that we live in a mental institute. We need to be constantly meditating on the Word of God day and night, and therefore be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in your season. You're, you're, you're saying that we should not place ourselves in the way of scoffers 
in the way of sinners. She's not sitting in the seat of scornful. But our minds should be meditating upon the Word of God all day long. I think that's the only solution well, when it comes down to if, 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 if you were in a position where you were in a mental institute and everybody around you was insane, that would, to me, would be the only way you could retain your sanity. Well, first verse that comes to mind is be still and know that I am God. You, you would have to be still and know that God is God. And I've been reading through uh, Robinson Crusoe. Fascinating story. Oh, first, rec- We're reading first- through it, too. First recognized yeah. English novel. It's amazing. Okay. Yes. And here's a man who who rebelled against his parents, ran away to sea, eventually was shipwrecked. He was isolated on an island. He Which means the potential of mental insta- instability yes. is probably a significant Tom Hanks. Yes. And it's the it's the basis for that Tom Hanks movie. Sure. And and he finds a Bible in a sea chest. He begins to read it. He repents of his sins. And he he thanks God for the provision that he has. God provides all this for him. He begins to not thank for the thank him for the circumstances, but thank him for the provision in the circumstances in which he finds himself isolated. And then, after several years of maturing as a Christian, God brings him someone to disciple. Friday on Thursday evening. Well, maybe it was, yeah. I think it was well, Friday. I think it was, well, well it was Friday. Knows? Okay, okay. And then the end of the story is that, that, that God rescues them. They return, they discover that the inheritance that has been left in his name has been handled by honest people and fully turned over to him. Is that not the Christian's walk through this life? Uh-huh. And good. that, mm-hmm. because he meditated on God's word, he because he, in, he immersed himself in God's study. And in 2018, a 2018 study, Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health found some surprising benefits to children and adolescents who attend weekly worship, according to this article in the Federalist Paper. Turns out that children and teens who attend church grow up to be young adults with higher rates of reported happiness and life satisfaction. They were less likely to suffer from anxiety and depression, less likely to use illicit drugs, less likely to engage in early sex and contract sexually transmitted infections. In fact, they were more likely to embrace volunteering and reported a feeling of sense of mission and purpose than those who were non-church attending counterparts. In other words, it's no surprise. Parents no surprise. take your children to church, but do more than that, of course. Right. But just the just being immersed in the church building, just being in the pew of a Bible-believing church has an impact. Sure. It had an impact sure. on me as a child. Sure. Me too. Mm-hmm. I went three times a week. Me too. Plus yeah. revivals twice mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. I mean, I sat in that pew You got a revived lot. 18 times. Oh, I got saved many times uh-huh. when I was a kid, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was that kind of denomination. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. but I, that's, that was what did it, right? It was my parents' insistence that that we be immersed in a community of believers. Otherwise, you will find yourself just like Robinson Crusoe, isolated and alone. And you will go insane because sin is, is the ultimate insanity. Yeah. Go to church. Do family worship every day. I mean, friends, and, and we're throwing the flag on the play. This is out of control right now. So parents, take this seriously. Maybe your brand new parents just had a little guy bring them back home and you're, you know, 
starting to nurture him and bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to commit to this, man. From the very beginning, I'm telling parents, go to church every Sunday and do family worship, be in the Word every single day. Friends, I I don't I can't think of any other solution right now to to maintain sanity and and to come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord. At this point, uh, also stay in communication with your young people. Don't isolate yourself and don't allow them to isolate themselves. Stay in communication. Be talking through things together. Absolutely limit media. We've talked about that. Pray, engage spiritual welfare. Remember, this world is demon-possessed, demon-infested. There's so much demon involvement. Uh, Not unlike the period of time when Jesus was here. And uh, Jesus said, this kind comes not out but by prayer and fasting. Just be in prayer. Be, Be ready for the spiritual attacks that happen. I mean, just be ready. If you're tempted to spiritual depression, I recommend uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression. A series of messages available there at mljtrust.org. It's one of our favorite places for good, solid preaching. And also, this comes from my new book coming out in the spring. It's uh, called Worldview. Counseling unbelievers would be very different from counseling believers in that the unbelievers came capable of seeing things rightly. The Christian counselor still presents the right way of thinking about God, about sin, about salvation, but must be prepared for a complete rejection of the message. There is some measure of futility when you say, see this to a blind man or listen to this to one who is deaf. Nonetheless, the counselor is still very much aware of the reality of demon possession as well as tendencies for unbelievers to handle guilt by self-atonement or suppressing guilt and shame by various odd behaviors. Modern psychologists use terms like schizophrenia. Bipolar disorder, multiple personality disorder to describe this phenomenon. Eating disorders result from dissatisfaction or discontentment with the body or a wrong perception of the body as well as a lack of gratefulness to God. Often there's more than one wrong way of thinking going on, but one's self-perception, both body and soul, is fundamental here. One's value cannot be set by oneself as the world would have it, but how is our value set by the Creator Himself? Very important. Now, these are essential counseling issues that I think every family needs to be aware of, even as a parent counsels their children. When therapy might, uh, what therapy might the Christian counselor provide the unbeliever? There's some value in correcting certain wrong mindsets. There is some temporary relief to be found in honest confession of sin, even for those who will not receive Christ. Also, the man for the Gadarenes was confined by chains. There may be some temporary relief uh, offered society and friends by the administration of psychotropic drugs, but uh, obsessive-compulsive disorders are also guilt-driven as men and women attempt to achieve perfection on their own terms. Masochism, self-cutting, sadism, all efforts to self-atone for sin, anxiety disorders, panic attacks, various phobias rooted in the spirit of fear, the fear of death, the fear of losing something on this earth, fear of what will happen next, fear of the future, fear of other people, fear of powerful governments, etc., etc. All this fear is sin must be replaced by the fear of God and trust in God. Some of these disorders are experienced by immature Christians as well. As far as they have ears to hear and hearts to receive and a willingness to obey the word, they will be healed of these things. So that's just very basic biblical psychology. And I just did that in, what, three minutes? And and it's echoed, that is echoed in this article, thankfully enough, in The Federalist by Mary Kulzak. And here's how she, she ends. Jesus came for sinners. As a matter of fact, the church is filled with them. Each week they come to hear the message that even though they are sinful human beings, Jesus died for those sins. And when we confess those nasty thoughts and horrible things we did, we can receive forgiveness, a clean slate. Will we mess up again on Monday? Of course. But that's why we can look forward to church. Imagine what a burden could be lifted from our children if they had a place to go each week that offered them that grace. How much better could they cope with a bad day 
knowing that each moment offers a fresh start. How much more resilient could our children become? And that is true. That's why if you divorce everything from Christ, you will go insane. The solution is the word of God. The solution is the gospel. Yes, we've got troubles. We got serious troubles. Our troubles are way worse, way worse than the humanist psychologists make it out to be. What do you mean by that? We've sinned against God. And the psychoses and neuroses, they're connected to that guilt-driven condition. Man, out of control. It has eternal consequence. That's how bad our condition is, all right? But the solution is found in Jesus Christ. That's right. We have forgiveness in Christ as we bring that sin to him. And all that guilt, all that shame just wiped away, just like that. One more point on clinical depression before I'm done. Clinical depression occurs when the mind is confined to the bad news about self and the world and refuses to find resolution in God's good news. That's clinical depression, friends, from a biblical perspective. It's a refusal to accept the gospel, the hope of glory. All things work together for good. Everything's coming to a wonderful conclusion, an unbelievable consummation. It's a refusal to accept all of that. Most unbelievers can suppress the truth about the bad news enough to live lives of quiet desperation and engage in a thousand diversions, including getting drunk. But, hey, the depressed unbeliever hasn't learned these survival techniques. This does offer an opportunity for an openness to the gospel message. But the depressed believer, what do we say about the depressed believer? All right, what do you say to the Christian, the professing Christian who's depressed? Oftentimes, he's got weak foundations. He doesn't understand his faith. His understanding of the Bible comes to bits and pieces. Hasn't got a good foundation of faith in place. Perhaps he's never had a grip on the gospel message itself, that the Son of God conquered sin, Satan, and death by his death and resurrection. Or he does not understand or believe in the forgiveness of sins or the justification by faith. Or he cannot see his identity as a child of God. To move ahead beyond this in the faith can only be destructive, confusing, and depressing. Or this believer has not put aside the sin that easily besets him, so he cannot run with endurance the race that's set before him. So these are the sorts of things that we need to talk about when it comes to the matter of depression. And friends, I include these things in my new book, The Worldview, What We Believe, What They Believe, and Why They Are Wrong. That book coming out in just a month or two giving you a heads up on it right now, and also recommend to you Spiritual Depression by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the very best books on dealing with psychological struggles that, that all of us must deal with, but from a biblical perspective. So i just throw that out for you. Well, friends, you've been listening to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson Hill, Bill Jack, also inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. <laughs>